we have an omen. On the Pope's birthday, December 17th, the day before the publication of Fiducia Supplicans, lightning pulverized the key and halo of a statue of St. Peter. Make of it what you will. And everyone listening, <laughs> if you haven't heard the story already, you can imagine oh, <laughs> how it lit up the internet. I mean, how specific the hit was to hit this part of the hand and leave nothing else. In Argentina. Like torch in the keys. <laughs> the Pope's homeland. It is shocking how specific it was. Why can't we speculate a little bit? Who's to say? I, who's to look, say? Who's, yeah, who's to say? All right, welcome back to the Loopcast. Today, I am joined by my co-hosts, Erica and Josh. We are hoping you had a great Christmas. Merry Christmas, the octave's still going on. We will get to that, uh, but also Happy New Year. It's gonna be a great 2024. Thank you to all of you that have been listening since the beginning, and we look forward to taking you into what seems to be a crazy 2024 ahead of us. So first off, we have an omen. I, I don't know, some people are saying that. I'm gonna leave that up to you. Uh, there was a lightning strike that happened uh, on the birthday of Pope Francis. And it struck a very specific location and a very specific thing on that location. Uh, Erica, uh, could you take us into, I think, what will lead us into some of the fallout from the infamous fiducia supplicants? Sure. So we just had to open up with this story and, and make of it what you will. So on the Pope's birthday, December 17th, the day before the publication of fiducia supplicans, uh, lightning pulverized the key and halo of a statue of St. Peter, uh, about 150 miles north of Buenos Aires at the sanctuary of Our Lady of the Rosary. Yes, Josh. I believe the halo was removed beforehand, just to make sure we're precise with the details, but the keys were pulverized. That's true. The keys were pulverized and the hand was like incinerated that was right. holding the hand was right, yeah. So yeah. Catholic vote, we were actually able to send a local journalist to the shrine to verify the facts of the story, uh, it did strike the image of St. Peter. And the, the statue, too, I, uh, you'll hopefully be able to see some pictures of this, but the statue is on the side of the church. And above it are these lightning rods that are like 30 and 40 feet high because it's in a high strike zone. So it's very strange that lightning should have struck this statue uh, from a natural science point of view. The image of St. Peter is not located on the main entrance. It's on the left side of the shrine. Uh, it's next to an image of St. Paul, uh, which is they flank a door, but that statue is completely unscathed in spite of being made of the same material. So <laughs> make of it what you will. And everyone listening, oh, and if they you did. haven't heard the story already, you can imagine <laughs> how it lit up the internet. And there were all kinds of theories. And I mean, Catholic Vote got some great, we, we did write a story about this because we had a journalist we could actually send and look and see and verify. Uh, and we got some great quotes such as, hey, the Middle Ages called Catholic Vote. They want you back. Oh, nice. <laughs> Along yeah. those lines yeah. and all that. But, but I mean, but I mean, really like I, I it's it's the 80th anniversary of the publication of The Abolition of Man, and I promise this connects. And in The Abolition of Man, C.S. Lewis talks about how modernity has just disenchanted the world, how any kind of explanation beyond the purely physical and material is just scoffed at and laughed at. And I think what this story suggests, the lightning strike on the statue on the birthday of the Pope, the day before this document comes out, and pulverizing the keys, it's 
you know, why can't we have a little bit of fun with it? Why can't we well, speculate a little bit? Who's to say? Yeah, I, who's, who's to say? To say? Who's, that's it. The 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 image the images are shocking. I mean, uh-huh. it's the spe- how specific the hit was to hit this part of the, the hand and leave nothing Torch else in the keys in Argentina. Like, we'll have the, <laughs> the picture for you in the show yeah. notes. Go look at this picture while you're listening to this. It is shocking how specific it was, and it is significant that it happened in Buenos Aires. Pope Francis uh, was actually a bishop there for a long time. I mean, some I mean, people are like, "Well, technically, it's outside of his diocese." It's like technically a few <laughs> miles, bro. Come on, guys. Get over it. So uh, I think that kind of signifies what has really shown uh, to be very divisive uh, within the church, this fiducia supplicans document. And the reason we keep talking about it is people want to hear more about it clearly. From what we see in the loop, it's by far what's been clicked on the most. There's a lot of debate. Uh, and we've seen a lot of different decisions from bishops across the world on how they want to handle this document. And so to see about half of the global, global church basically straight out reject this as something that is not going to be done uh, in their diocese is pretty she shocking is. to see uh, a, a strong rebuke. Okay. Yeah. And, and Josh, was this, was it surprising how strong and the specific location of some of these uh, rejections? Well, not the locations, used? but I, I mean, I was just very happy and pleasant to see that not, not only, you know, countries from other parts of the, of the world, like, like you mentioned, Africa, uh, Eastern Europe are saying no to this, but then we have bishops here in the United States, like the bishops of South Dakota, are like this is terrible stuff, you know, and, and all these people giving the thumbs down on it, which is good. But the reason why we talk about it is precisely what you're saying is the media is talking about this. You know, we're having presidential candidates cite this as a reason for, and justification for why they support same-sex marriage. Chris Christie claims he's Catholic, but he used this document as a reason to support same-sex marriage. Same thing, by the way, same kind of principle going on that, if you'll remember, back in 2013, Speaker of the Illinois Assembly, Madigan, horrible guy anyway, by the way, but he's a Democrat. And he cited Pope Francis's, you know, who am I to judge line as justification for same-sex marriages in Illinois. So, you know, you just look at this, it's like, Again, Pope Francis likes to create a mess. He didn't change church doctrine, as some people like to say. Yeah, well, I understand that, but he's changed church practice. And that's creating a massive mess in a bad way. And so, yeah, we talk about it. because Now, the lightning strike, I love it. Talk, okay. Is it an omen? Which, of course, I love that. It's my middle name. But uh, it is. It is my middle name. But Joshua Omen Mercer. That is true. I'm not. Wow, fun fact. I'm not kidding you. It's my middle name. Fun parents. I, I think what with regards to this kind of stuff, you got to be careful not to overdo things. You know, like to look for signs everywhere. So I have a lot of Catholic friends. They're always looking for like, what's going on with this, and how can we interpret this, and what's the other world? Because you know we have the material world and the in the in the fallen world, the sinful world that we live in, and. We're too used to that analysis and everything, you know, predict, you know, I don't know if you say predictable, but like there's the laws of science and all that kind of stuff. And, and so we like to think, oh, we, you know, mystical things can't happen. We should be careful not to dip into that too much. I agree. However, dude, I mean, we're talking about a statue of St. Peter holding the keys on the Pope's birthday. His keys get vaporized by lightning. I mean, it was a little, it did remind me of 
the night Pope Benedict announced he was going to resign, the lightning struck St. Peter's Basilica. The Dome of St. Peter's. like, hello. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Kind of makes you wonder. Uh, and I do think, by the way, so I, 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 I say this and I mean this in my heart. I don't go to this well too much. However, I do recall, like, this thing that Pope Francis has done with uh, fiducia fabulosa, as I like to call it, the blessing of same-sex couples, is the second worst thing the Pope has done in his papacy. It's, you would think it'd be number one, but I still think the number one thing is how he basically worshipped the Pachamama idol. And I really do think that, that the Pope doing something like that was a terrible transgression. And what happened after that? Soon after he in, you know, praised the Pachamama idol, we had a worldwide pandemic for two years. I mean, like, to me, I've always thought those two were related. Uh, you know, something I wanted to address that has rolled out slowly since Fiducia was released um, is is the continued sort of split among Catholic commentators of the Pope's splainers, and I, I don't want to use these terms lightly or loosely because I don't want to diminish good points made on both sides. And then what Peter Wolfgang called the Pope ragers, so the people who are just like this is terrible. Um, but one of the one of the comments that's a, that has come out has been, well, you know, if I was the Pope, I would have done it differently. If I was a bishop, I would have done this differently. But I'm not. So I'm just going to say that this doesn't change anything. It's it's all OK. And I don't I don't think that that's right for lay people to say, well, since I'm not a bishop, I I don't have a right to comment on this. I think it is important for for the laity in the church to have a measured, um, not an overreaction, but a, a measured and a truthful view of what this papacy has meant so far. And you pointed to Pacamama. Josh, I was going back over the break and looking at, uh, you know, as far back as the Synod on the Family or even before that, uh, Mars Letizia, and just the pattern of undoing teaching from the way that we live, that sort of postmodern, like it, it's, it's so un-Catholic and it is so not grounded in the Gospels and the Church Fathers. Yeah, the Jesuitical approach where you just, you know, break it into shatter a word into all these different pieces and break it down and then you're therefore technically such well it's the union and the couple this is a perfect example yeah. the union thing versus the couple thing and and all of the people who are like well we we shouldn't be all upset about this it doesn't change anything when it, they're like because it says we're going to bless the couple and not the union well that that's a distinction without a difference that what makes them a couple but their sexual relationship and <laughs> the defining and characteristics again, it, I believe sodomy. the quote you used <laughs> was anyone with a brain on the last episode, Erica? Anyone with a anyone with eyes? Anyone with exactly a brain? Did I say that? That sounds so motherly, doesn't it? Uh, if you had a brain in your head. But. So you're bringing up some some really this made me think about a conversation I had the other day with actually people within here at the office. So we were having a conversation because uh, someone who works here was on vacation and went to a church and they their preference is to receive Jesus on the tongue. And they went and a Eucharistic minister uh, denied them Eucharist, period, because they wouldn't put it on their tongue. 
And then afterwards went to the priest and said, hey, this happened. And the priest was able to administer, which is great. Um, and that kind of sparked, of course, I know there's some internal debates on like whether everyone should be receiving on the tongue, whether we should receive on the hands. And of course, like, I think you can have good faith arguments to and for whatever. But uh, the point being was someone basically said, well, if you receive on the hand or the tongue, it does not change what Jesus is. If it's administered by a Eucharistic minister, it doesn't change what Jesus is. And someone here made a really interesting point, and I, I've been thinking about this a lot in regards to now fiducia subacans. Uh, while it doesn't change what Jesus is, uh, it does change what we project about Jesus. So if you're receiving from a priest on the tongue, that projects to people that what happening, what is happening here is different, that it's special, that this is Especially Jesus. If you're kneeling. The more reverence that we apply to something, exactly, the more reverence that we apply that is projected to other people and even to yourself. Like when you're doing that, what you're projecting to yourself internally, mm -hmm. it shows more reverence. That's what reverence is basically. Kind of like uh, when people do benediction, when a priest does benediction, they have the, the I forget the name of it, but around their shoulders and they don't touch the, um, with their fingers, they touch with the stole around their fingers. Sure, they could touch with their fingers, but what is or what are we signifying by having the stole around and touching with that? It's like that this is God. So if you look at it, you would know it's God. So in regards to these blessings, like you're saying, oh, well, the couple, well, the union, like to me, this is all such, like you said, doublespeak, but what are we projecting to people when we see in Kentucky, we have uh, on a website, they're projecting, we will bless gay uh, unions, come, come to our website, meet with our priest, our priest will wear a rainbow stole and bless that. Like, I don't know what you, you can make all their arguments to and for whether technically this, technically that. But what are we projecting? What do people see? And I think like we we should be putting more emphasis on what we project to people as Catholics. What is the world lacking right now? The world's lacking more reverence and more understanding of who Jesus is. How many Catholics don't even believe that Jesus is in the Eucharist? Like they just think it's a symbol. And who could blame them with some of these churches where you walk in, you hear a ukulele, everyone's holding hands around the altar, and then you know some random person passes it out like a cracker. What do you think it is? So like, I think the more that I've been thinking a ton about that, I'm like, with this conversation, stop getting trapped in the word games. <laughs> like we need to project the truth. And, and when I see these bishops from all over the world saying, this is confusing our flock. We can't have this. Like Africa, everywhere in Africa, they're like, this is confusing. We're not going to do it. South America, surprisingly, many places in South America, um, Erguin, Cardinal Daniel Sterla said, look, like we're not going to do this. This is yeah. confusing to people. I like to see more of that. You know, I think that's right. going to be best for the church. I think the world. something that was really uh, encouraging through the last few weeks and seeing all of these bishops come out was just the sense that this is how the church, this is how Christ constructed the church, that there really is a brotherhood among the bishops. And this document, as horrible as it is, what it's doing is it's prompting the bishops to do their job, which is to correct Peter when he's in error. We saw this first in Acts 15 with the Council of Jerusalem. St. Paul and the other apostles, they're calling out Peter saying, no, Gentiles don't need to be circumcised to become Christian. I mean, thank God, right, guys? And so it was <laughs> really amazing to see uh, coming off of the synod on synodality, which, fun fact, my spell check in Google, it keeps correcting synod on synodality to synod on senility. You guys, how awesome fair. is that? Anyway, <laughs> yeah, fair enough, fair <laughs> enough. So the synod on senility, they... <laughs> It's, it's amazing Basically. to see the bishops actually acting as the defenders and teachers of the faith in this sort of, uh, in this really massive and 
way. And it, um, that's been one fruit coming out of this. Uh, and to your point, Tom, all the confusion about the Eucharist and in our faith, the, the mystery of a man and a woman in the sacrament of marriage, it is Christ and the church. That's why this document touches so deeply on our faith because it does touch on marriage. And these bishops are all saying, no, like we, we're not going to go there. And uh, time, time for a rework. Why would we confuse people about what marriage is? That's the practical application of this. What's going on right now is confusing the average person right, about right. what we and believe marriage to be. This is what gets me about it because the Pope likes to say he, you know, create a mess, and I and it, that frustrates it's me. It's messy. Be- he did it. Yeah, you did, yeah. <laughs> successfully done. Thanks, buddy. But the fact is, we <laughs> have mission accomplished. We have a God of order, and that's what just strikes me as so frustrating. Like we expect clarity, and and order, and and reliability from our religious teachers because we believe in a God of, you know, order. And by the way, this document was not, I mean, this is what, again, this papacy has frustrated me because he, on the Latin mass, for example, I don't go, so don't get into that with me, but he immediately re- repealed what the, his predecessor had done. And then this, now this Pope with fiducia fabulosa has removed what his own papacy agreed you know and said two years ago and 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 what draw and again complete just you know he gets a new guy in for the ddf you know dicastery whatever and then this guy immediately jumps on this and promotes this promulgation and then he gets but the pope still signed off on it and the thing is if you think contrast that with like pope Pius the 12th Back in 1950, he's, you know, considering whether or not to declare, you know, Mary, you know, her assumption, that dogma to be, whether that should be considered dogma, whether that should be infallible, whether as Catholics, you should be required to think that. And that at the time, the Pope actually went around and asked bishops from all across the world what he thought about this, you know, and he consulted with them. And so he didn't like go on his own in a sense. Ultimately, he had to make the call himself. And that was a matter of of, you know, grand, grand importance because he was declaring it ex cathedra, which I know this document isn't. And he didn't even have to call it synodality. He just did it. He just Right, but even then, he's still consulting thing. with theologians and bishops from all across the mm-hmm. world. You know, it's like, that's a natural thing to do instead of like this with this document, like it was, there's rumors that something like this was going on. And then when this synod on synod of the synod of the synod, of the synod in October got done with that. Oh, we dodged a bullet. I guess they're not going to try to do this. And then we get a right, right in time for Christmas. Well, and it turns out, so this story came out over the break as well. Uh, Fernandez, the Cardinal DDF guy. So he gave a pillar interview in Spanish right after this uh, document came out. And he said that this, this particular document had been in the works when he took the helm at the <laughs> DDF this summer, which means that they called all of these synods on synodality people to Rome in October. They had all of this this sort of, I hate to say it, but it, this farce of conversation and listening, knowing all along that this document was in the works. They can't get it through. They can't. The final synod document uh, has no mention of LGBT. They couldn't get it to work. Even stacking the deck with people like Father James Martin and the German go- dudes, they couldn't get it through because the synod actually said we're we don't want to address that we don't want to this isn't catholic this isn't some an agenda that we want to push forward 
So what do they do? They drop this document right before Christmas that had already been in the works. Father Raymond D'Souza has a great piece over at the Catholic thing. He plays 20 questions with Fernandez and he says, did you tell anyone at the Synod this was going on or did you just play them for fools knowing that this was coming out regardless of what the Synod said? Uh, very yeah. pointed questions. Uh, really good read. I'll, I'll drop it in the show notes for everyone. Uh, moving on, we have a update. This kind of broke recently. Claudine Gay. Uh, we did an entire episode thumbnail on her. She is no longer the president of Harvard. Uh, Josh, I, I really hate to say this, but you were correct on this. I believe you said they're not going to fire her immediately. They're going to wait till about Christmas yep. and then they're going <laughs> to let her go. And unfortunately, that's exactly what they did. I'm getting a little tired of saying Josh is right about stuff. I know. Josh starts off 2024 with a with <laughs> one for one on the predictions. Good job, Josh. <laughs> Great job, Oracle Josh. Oracle strikes again. So I believe we had Ibram X. Kendi say that this is uh, due to a racist mob uh, that just wants to take out black people. Uh, other people are saying it's because she plagiarized half of her work. Uh, and then couldn't condemn the genocide of Jews. Uh, I'm going to leave it up to you guys to decide on what's going on. Could be it. So, although they did say they're calling for a new, the new president to be a black woman, and someone suggested that we do uh, Clarissa Thomas, uh, which is just Clarence Thomas in a wig. So that would be <laughs> or interesting. Or actually do Carol Swain. That would be, she would be a great candidate, you know. She would be awesome. I've heard people talk yeah, about her. Carol yeah. Swain was one of the plagiarized by Claudine Gay, and she's come out very strongly against her. So absolutely. Great pick. Hey, Harvard, listen justice. up. I mean, just throwing you some ideas here, but... Josh, because you were correct about this, and I'm going to kick this to you, but uh, Chris Rufo uh, was instrumental in revealing a, a lot of this. He's a hero, dude. And he, uh-huh. So before I hear... before I want to read a tweet that he wrote, and I think this applies to a lot of what we see today. To all my critics who snidely dismiss me as a bad faith actor and cartoon villain, I was right. You were wrong. Gay is gone. The world of politics cannot be divided neatly between good actors and bad actors. Reality is not a Marvel movie. Politics is not a child's fable. There are only actors, fighters in the arena, some of whom are successful and some of whom are not. My strategies, however unorthodox, have proven successful at exposing corruption, changing public opinion, and moving institutions. My critics, nursing sanctimonious feelings from a safe distance outside the arena, have no such record. Call me a bad actor. Call me a cartoon villain. I will measure myself by virtue and virtue Yeah, I mean, his alone. point is, you know, say what you want. I, I put, he, he's like, I put points on the scoreboard and I love it. He gets it. Right, so points on the scoreboard. Because so much of, like, online conservatives or whatever, people will call them grifters. Like, they, they love to just call people woke and then they go back to just tweeting on whatever pops up in the next 24 hours. So few of them actually notch up wins. And some people, when they do win, they get criticized or they back away. Like Chris Rufo doesn't seem interested in, you know, getting a few nice comments. Like he's trying to take people out who shouldn't be in places that they're right. in. I like, I would love to see a little bit more of that in politics personally, because so many people we vote for, as soon as they get to DC, turn into a uniparty, hanging out, enjoying, you know, lobbyists, giving them money and nice dinners and stuff like that. Like it, I love this energy and I'd love to see more of it. Like Claudine Gate did not deserve to be there. Like she, her whole thing was a sham. Right. She should have been removed. And she wouldn't have been if there wasn't people like Chris Rufo. Well, did you see what the AP said about Christopher Rufo? Oh, this is... Yeah, he's like a cartoon. No, he's better, dude. Yeah. No, 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 dude, dude, dude. <laughs> the Associated Press said on X, formerly Twitter, Christopher Rufo wrote, scalped as if gay was a trophy of violence, invoking a gruesome practice taken up by white colonialists colonists who sought to eradicate... <laughs> 
Native Americans. Like, wait a minute. Oh my awesome. gosh. I mean, Guys. just to me, it's just uh, the, the audacity of the AP. It's like, um, like, wait, white colonists, you're making this, but like they did the same thing that was done to them. Like, yeah, it's ridiculous. I mean, it, it just, it exposes, and I know exposing hypocrisy is like not really a win, but it just exposes the whole DEI project. And she was a DEI hire, like literally, like she said, I am a diversity, like I'm black woman. This is why I'm here. That it, it exposes that they are not interested in the good life. They're not interested in intellectual excellence. They're not. It's a, it's a political move in the worst sense of the word political. That it's tribal, and it doesn't matter if you do right or you do wrong. It's all about getting your man in there, and that's power. like Ibram X Kendi's reaction. Yeah, it's about power and not about the you know she's in her. In her letter of resignation, there is no hint of apology. She accuses her detractors oh. as having racist. You know why, uh, I mean, Erica? There's nothing in there. <laughs> you know why her resignation <laughs> why? didn't have any remorse? Why it didn't mention any of the things that were against her? Because her resignation letter, I think she plagiarized it from someone else. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, well, just to finish my thought, Tom, so... It's yeah. not about like, okay, she's going to be corrected. She will apologize and she will amend her ways. We are so far beyond that in terms of the establishment, in terms of the government, in terms of education, in terms of, you know, even big tech in many ways, the exception of Elon Musk, perhaps. But we're so far beyond making corrections because everyone's on the same page about what a good society looks like that when Chris Rufo says something like scalped, it is it is perfectly legitimate to say these people just need to be gone because there isn't yeah. going to be, okay, I showed something that they did wrong and now things will change. They, they are not going to change. Claudine Gay was not going to say, I was wrong to say this in front of Congress. I was wrong to plagiarize. You know, I will step down willingly of my own. You had to force her out in order for there to be societal change. And I don't want to get, I don't want to like use the left's tactics against the left. But at the same time, as a good parent, sometimes you just have to remove the person from the situation. I, I don't know if I would coin wielding legitimate authority as a leftist tactic. Like left, lefties understand that power is really all that matters at the end to uh, achieve their goals. And conservatives, for some reason, I don't understand this, are so terrified of wielding legitimate authority or, or exercising power. they think if I that's scream on Fox News, that's successful. Like Ru Chris Rufo's like, no. actually, I want her to be removed. It. I want her to be fired. That's how we can advance. I want there to be consequences. Yeah. No, Correct. I mean, so I, I I support everything Christopher Rufo does. I've donated to support him. And just like I supported the, uh, I forget the Austrian guy's names to make full circle on this, the 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 tall <laughs> Austrian dude uh, who took the Apache mama, the mama and threw it in the river. In oh, the yeah. Tiber. Like, I'm donating to you. That's <laughs> <Yeah, it's> like <laughs> that was a great, great moment. The guy who destroyed the uh the goat head. Uh yeah, in the Satan Iowa. statue. Yeah, it's that guy. Like, I love that guy L too. Listen, Cassidy. Yeah. Like we're, we're actually talking about something now. We're putting I'm happy to see some points wins, on the board like, here. Yeah. So speaking of people who need to be removed, Ohio Governor DeWine. So he vetoed House Bill 68, and if you're unfamiliar with that, it would be a bill that would prevent uh, child mutilation. So we're talking hormones, puberty blockers, and gender re reassignment surgery uh, before patients turn 18. So this is for children. It would also prohibit transgender or male 
biological males in female bathrooms, I don't even like to play the word games, uh, and playing on biological men playing in female sports in high school and college, uh, it would have stopped all of that. And it got passed by both chambers, got to the governor's desk, and he made a whole video promo about how he couldn't do it. He, he, he vetoed it. And this was a guy who was self-proclaimed Republican, uh, endorsed by Trump, and he just blocked what would have solved a lot of problems. Well, that's not even uh, half of it. In the state well, of Ohio. Mike DeWine claims he's Catholic. And during the COVID pandemic, he shut down all the Catholic churches, but the abortion clinic uh, facilities were open. So like, who is this guy claims he's Catholic, claims he's pro-life. He did sign the heartbeat bill, but man, he is terrible on this. And I mean, how could you're a Republican? And you're you can't be against mutilating children. Like, what is the problem here? Right. And I what really got me on this one where his the way that he justified it was that he took the language of parents rights and he used it to justify this. So this is from his video promo. He goes, were I to sign this bill and it become law, Ohio would be saying that the state that the government knows better what's medically best for a child than the two people who love that child the most their parents. And so this is obviously co-opting a real argument about the primacy of parental rights and saying, oh, well, they need to be allowed to cut off their girl's breasts. This is ridiculous. There are clearly things that even parents, the state has an interest in forbidding even parents from doing to their children. I mean, I could go. No one has the right to abuse their children. Right. No this one has the right to abuse their children. No one does. Parental rights. There's people that believe that it's somehow a right to mutilate your children, those aren't people that you can make scientific and statistical yeah. arguments with and then have them, you know, something change. You just have to defeat them. So when I see this situation, right. you have to remove these people from power. There's no other way. They can't be reasoned with. They're not listening to any of those statistics that have come up because they're all horrible. Right. What they're going to do in Ohio, Tom, next week, they're going to, the legislature is going to vote to override the veto. So I think that's going to happen. I think they got the votes to do it. Yeah, I hope right. they can so do it. Right, and so what? So understanding that that would happen anyway, why would go, this guy veto this Because he's getting money from all the big pharmaceuticals in the hospitals. And he's term limited and out. And he's a lame duck, right? So, yeah. He can't so when get he, his term limits. Right. Yeah. So when he's done in two years, he can, you know, cash out as a lobbyist. Just, I mean, like, what is with Ohio Republicans when they retire becoming just totally worthless? Like John Boehner was Speaker of the House, and then he becomes a <laughs> lobbyist for marijuana. It golly, people. And we got to touch on this as well. This has kind of become the update episode. So we had immigrations num immigration numbers come in for December. And we're becoming numb to these numbers, but we set another record. 302,000 in December. And I believe these are encounters, right? So this is 302,000 encounters at the border in December. Does not include estimated gotaways, which are between 80 and 90,000. And just to give it a little bit of context... This is a 260% increase over December of the previous year. So uh, again, like you said, Tom, the numbers just become numbing. So we have to think of different ways to put them in context so that they really retain the, the shock value, but not just shock value for the sake of like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. But this is a real crisis. And I want to point everyone to your Mark Morgan interview that came out in December, one of the top interviews of the year. I think it, it really is the gold standard for understanding what is going on at the border and how the the shocking numbers are the direct 
and, and the, the fallout from those numbers are, are the direct result of policy. This was the, we saw the increase in volume right after, oh, it was January 2021. And, you know, what happened then? But basically, the Biden administration has just been sending this message to the whole world. Now is the time to come. And that's just been, uh, a, you know, aggravated over and over by different policy. To, in California this week, we just had uh, free health care to illegals who come with minor children, effective January 1st. Now they are fully covered under California's Medicaid program. And so, again, these, these signals of to the entire world, come on down. The water's great here. You're like, we want you. We're going to take care of you. It's better than where you live. But just to put a few of the numbers in perspective, we've got about 3.4 million illegal immigrants have been allowed in or evaded authorities under President Biden. And again, that's more than the population of 20 states with an estimated 2 million gotaways. Again, we don't have the exact numbers. And so one of the points that Mark Morgan makes in your interview, Tom, that really struck me was uh, we don't talk enough about who these people are. And people who are sympathetic with immigration and like, okay, we just got to welcome them because they're all asylum seekers and families with little kids just trying to get a better life. It's actually not true. Most of the people coming across over 50% now are military aged males. So 18 to, to 30. And they're coming over from 180 countries. We've had immigrants uh, documented from 180 countries. So this isn't just Mexicans and uh, Venezuelans and Colombians. Like 180 countries. What are we talking about? That's like the world. Yeah, there's 195 countries officially recognized in the world. And 180 of them have sent immigrants in the last three years (laughs) to the United States. So I think it's important for Catholics to understand that the, the result of these policies are an increase in death, increase in sex trafficking, increase in rape, and increase in just com- complete, uh, you know, disregard for the internal safety of our country. And that's uh, not being racist. It's not being, you know, oh, we don't like poor people. It's just being realistic about who is coming across the border. Well, the answer is we don't know. It's bad for our country, Erica, but it's worse for the migrants that are being raped, killed, 100%. Uh, forced into trafficking. I mean, this is this is the least Christian way we could possibly treat human beings. Like 60% of kids coming across are forced into prostitution, forced labor, or child pornography. Yeah. I mean, what are we talking about? I mean, I did the math. <laughs> That's, That's unbelievable. So they're estimating 450 to 500 unaccompanied minors today. So this is kids under the age of 18. And if you're talking 60, the lowball estimate, from Heritage Foundation is 60% of them are going to be forced into labor, prostitution, porn. That's 270 kids every single day being lost at the southern border or 8,100 kids every month. So there's nothing Christian or Catholic about that. It is, it's an atrocity and it's terrible. I, th- I think, you know, you talked about the numbers and I think it's just hard for sometimes people to, to wrap their brains around this. And, you know. It's too big. Yeah. So just think about it, like 300,000 people in the month of December crossed into our border illegally. Just take the people for that first week and you can fill up Soldier Field in Chicago, the entire stadium. Like it's, it's kind of insane. And you, you know, and you look at, I was just watching the Rose Bowl where Michigan, you know, was victorious, which is nice. 90,000 
Like, okay, so that literally you could fill that stadium three times over and still have n- not enough seats for people in just one month. I mean, it's just, you start to lose sight of the, the sheer numbers, the magnitude of it. And I think sometimes that's been the problem with immigration. It becomes like, you know, get, you get kind of lost sometimes in the numbers. And I think too often people get too much in, onto the bumper sticker slogans of it all. They want to say, well, welcome the stranger, welcome the neighbor, being, being a welcoming person, being nice, being nice, all that kind of stuff. And it's easy for people in New York City and Chicago and Boston to talk about how welcoming they are. They, the, the mayor of Boston just said that, she, you know, anyone anywhere in the world that isn't free should be able to come to Boston. How can we refuse anybody? And you're just like, <laughs> it's, it's, you sort of lose your mind. Governor Abbott's like, hold my beer. Yeah. I mean, really? So. <laughs> Look out, Wait, Mayor Wu. Was this the same? Was this the same Mayor of Boston that had an all all, all anti white Christmas party? Like she had only people yeah, of color only invited. POCs only, people of color only, and it was great. They I mean, whites of color. I don't know why I can't oh come. Gosh. I don't. You know, hello. Whites are color. Yeah, but I'm very pink in the summer. It does. You know. So again, I think you know we had all these sanctuary cities and and signaling how virtuous they were by saying i love other people from other places and you're racist and homophobic and xenophobic and bigoted and all that jazz but then that's what's been different about governor abbott and governor desantis like saying oh you want to welcome the stranger well here you go here's you know 20 20 000 strangers tell me how you'll do then and so you get these cities now in New York City, Chicago, that are just being overrun. They have no place. They have no beds. And, you know, I, I, it gets, and, and so now the cities are like filling up hotels with, with illegal aliens. And, and Catholic Charities is even paying money to fly illegal immigrants across the country. Pretty soon in October, you're going to need a, a real ID, not just a regular driver's license. You're going to need an enhanced real ID in order to fly in this country. Unless, of course, you enter the country illegally and then they'll then Catholic Charities will give you money and you can f- jump on a Delta flight and go across the country. I want to echo what you said, Erica. Everyone should go. We'll put it in the show notes. Got to watch Tom's brilliant interview with Mark Morgan, who is with Border Patrol. Uh, I cannot recommend that highly enough. Uh, and his whole point is people say, well, you know, I don't mind if people come into the country if they really need it, but like the drugs, you know, that's the stuff we don't want in the weapons and all that other illegal activity. And he's like, it's all one and the same. I mean, these smugglers, what they'll do is they'll send a bunch of people over here and the border troops will, 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 will try to apprehend them. And then they smuggle the border drugs over here. I mean, <laughs> it's like they, these coyotes. They, it was shocking. It's whack-a-mole. Yeah. I mean, and it's not like these coyotes have the best interest of these people at heart. As you mentioned, so many of these women and children were assaulted sexually. It's like, this is a massive human rights violation. If you support Biden's open border policies, you've got blood on your hands. Stop trying to pretend that you're the more morally superior or virtuous person. You're, some more, you're supporting a repugnant policy that is exploiting the poorest of the poor while making our own country more unstable. It's horrible. And we got to get it. We got to get rid of it. We got to have security and moral clarity at the border. This, this just in, uh, people were exceedingly generous, shockingly generous uh, to supporting the Loopcast. I just wanted to give a quick thank you to anyone that donated specifically to Loopcast. That was uh, really touching to me and we really appreciate it. The, I want to reiterate, the only way we're able to do the show uh, is through the generosity of people that support us. 
So if you would like to support us uh, to uh, give us uh, some help chip, chip in here a little bit, uh, you can go to loopcast.org. I have it in the show notes. It will be an opportunity for you to support us if you'd like to. Thank you so much in advance. Uh, we really appreciate it. I was really touched, actually. I just got a heads up from someone like, wow, like, wow, people are really generous. So thank you. Go check that out before we get into the next section. Uh, we have a quick hitter. When does Christmas end? People, this is always up. No one really knows. It feels like a, a great mystery. Not a mystery. What uh, are you talking about? People get met. <laughs> it goes. There's I'm a lot of numbers out there. The Josh. church changed the calendar. Remember this in the mid 20th century. Now Christmas goes till Super Bowl Sunday. Everyone knows this. <laughs> I think that's the USCCB did that for the American uh, American Christian. That's when I keep my Christmas tree up until. When can we stop saying Merry Christmas to people? I think is what the people want to know. Oh, man. Well, as my grandmother in her old age used to say, every day is Christmas. <laughs> she died at 103 and had dementia. She was great. She was so happy. <laughs> she had hey, dementia. Hey, you want to be that kind of dementia patient and not like the sad uh-huh. one. She was like, she was great. Thanks. So pray for her soul. Pray for uh, Jean Kunis. Okay. So Christmas end. Here's where the confusion is, Josh. Since you're not confused, here's why other people might be. There's the octave of Christmas, which is the whole eight days. Yeah, eight days are a big deal. December 25th to January 1st. Octaves are great. We get Bacon Friday. It's a great time. We say Merry Christmas all week. Then you have the song that's like on the 12 days of Christmas, right? The Lord's leaping and the ladies dancing and the five golden rings and all that. Yeah, Josh, could you sing five golden rings for us? No, I'm not going to sing that song. I hate that song. But he's going to explain it. Well, I mean, 12, it goes to the epiphany, right? Isn't that what it's about? Yeah, that right. goes to January 6th, which is the epiphany of the Lord in the United States. As usual, some dioceses have moved it to a Sunday, making it 11 or 13 days. So understandably, there's some confusion there. But January 6th is epiphany. Well, actually, the but then, well, well, before you go further on that, Derek, uh, part of the thing is like in the East, they make a bigger deal about the epiphany because that's the day that the three kings find out about Jesus, that's when Jesus becomes known, let's say, to the world, right? To the nations, yeah. Right? So that's their that's their day where they celebrate, and that's when the gifts actually happen. So they, they got a point there, well, let's be honest, and don't let people tell it, Christmas might be about the, you know, everyone's like, Chris, we've got to remember the reason for the season. Yeah. Presents and gifts, that's what, it, I mean, it's right there in the Bible. Hello. Now, maybe it should be on the Epiphany <laughs> instead of Christmas. Old frankincense and myrrh, baby. Not, but hey, we're bringing out the good stuff too, okay? So none of this Lego knockoffs like I got when I was a kid. Come on. Josh, are you one of those people that gets mad when people say happy holidays? I do. Mm. I do. I mean, I don't get like angry, angry, but I just roll my eyes or whatever. I don't like the, like the, the I don't think the Christmas spirit is barking at somebody for getting it wrong either. So I'm like, I would just kind of like smile and like, and Merry Christmas, you know, like I'm not going to be a jerk about it. Like. Being a uh, oh, do you hit him with like a little accentuated like no Merry, Merry Christmas? Christmas. No, no, I don't want to hit him with a baseball <laughs> bat. That's not <laughs> nah. Probably I just make a mental note of a post-Christian society. There we are again. Yeah, no, oh, I, I, I love, I love a good Merry Christmas. Hitting someone with a Merry Christmas after getting a Happy Holidays is very satisfying. But if sure. you want to keep it going past Epiphany, you also have this option of going to the Baptism of the Lord, also known in the East as the Theophany or the showing forth of the Godhead. So, of course, the baptism is when the Holy Spirit comes down and God says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And Jesus is baptized in the Jordan by John. And so this, the Christmas, so the nativity of the Lord, the epiphany and the theophany are a beautiful set of God 
manifesting that he has indeed oh, become like flesh three. and dwelt among oh, us. Amazing how Isn't that, that works. Three. Oh, three, yeah. which is a number that comes kind of God's frequently. deal, right? He kind of does that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Big it's on the like threes. Lightning comes up with Pope Francis. Three comes up with God. <laughs> it just full circle. Oh, wait, so insane. there's gonna be a third lightning strike, right? We gotta be. <laughs> and and some people push it all the way till the presentation of the Lord or Candlemas. Well, we put an article in the loop about that, just saying that some people just immediately dust off Christmas and they get kind of in the lulls. And so we wanted to kind of a- answer that and, and help people understand that. But it doesn't mean that we don't think that Christmas carries on. We like Christmas. Keep it going. I like to keep my tree up and the lights going. All right, Erica. Twilight Zone. You're up. So there were a lot of options coming off the break, but I'm actually going to highlight an article. My Twilight Zone moment was opening up the new issue of First Things, January 2024, and seeing one of the headliners is entitled Self-Abuse. And I thought to myself, no way. Children, children listening in the car. Oh, yeah. Sorry. um, Parents, disclaimer. Great. This is going to be a great, this is going to be very interesting, but yeah, disclaimer. All right, I'm talking about masturbation, car. in fact, in First Things. The best article I have ever read on masturbation. It starts off with a lot about D.H. Lawrence, but she really, this is by Pat Snow, who's, uh, full disclosure, friend of mine. I did not know she was publishing this. Um, it's It's got some graphic content in it. So, but I think every every Catholic adult should definitely be reading this because I think we hear a lot about uh, we talk on the show a lot about evils of surrogacy. Uh, we talked about the pornography epidemic, internet sex, gay sex, quote unquote. Um, but we don't use the word masturbation very often. And I think, again, like she says in the article, taboos have their place. So there is a reason why we don't use that term as often. But let's think clearly about this attack on the attack on marriage, the attack on the sanctity of uh, of human sexuality, that the epidemics we talk about, about this confusion, are epidemics of masturbation. So she goes through talking about uh, her own experience and just how the Catholic Church being able to just say, look, it's masturbation is a, a behavior that is you know expected in the young in some ways, but that does not mean it is natural and it does not mean it is harmless. And she talks about uh, how science has basically confirmed all the old wives' tales. You know, like if you commit self-abuse repeatedly, you're going to go blind or you're going to be a, a retarded, to use an, the old-fashioned terms that my grandparents probably used. Uh, and it turns out that science confirms, in fact, people who masturbate excessively, they risk impotence and inability to have normal sexual relations with the opposite sex. And in fact, it affects their hyperfrontality, which is your prefrontal cortex, the part of your brain that allows you to make decisions and it it affects your memory performance as well. So all of this to say that this article, it covers the gamut of the theological implications for a culture that is soaked in masturbatory practices, as well as uh, the scientific sort of confirmation of everything your grandmother told you if she had the guts to tell you. So go read it by Pat Snow, First Things. And now the children can start listening again, because I'm sure Tom's will be much no, more actually, let me, let me, uh, let me go in. Let me jump in line here. Go in. Yeah. With mine, because it'll dovetail with what you're saying. 
I love a dovetail. Yeah. So, I mean, this is one of those things where on the in, are you, you're really about to, you're about to seal mine, aren't you? Brother. You can go for it, but, but I'm, I'm angry. Okay. No, you go take it. it. I'll be a no, man no, about I it. Mean, go ahead. You know, you, does this have to do with a calendar of some sort? <laughs> Women in swimsuits. I had the best hot, the, I, yeah, there's a I'll great be, hot take. Jason you. Whitlock's hot take is killer on this. All right. So we could cover, we could cover two takes. So I want to give a shout out to uh, Nate Hockman. He's actually a former guest of the show. He wrote an article called Beyond the Calendar Wars. And essentially, what we're referring to is that there is a conservative alternative to Bud Light called the Ultra Right Beer. They released a limited edition Real Women of America 2024 pinup calendar. Um, it included many, uh, let's say, uh, internet famous uh, conservatives, uh, some well known names, one of them being Riley Gaines, who has been on the program. I admire her greatly. Uh, but there's kind of a lot of people like that where you're like, oh, a little interesting that you're, you're kind of seeing this person uh, featured, um, many of which married, some had kids, that kind of thing. And it, the, it was kind of a dumb argument because people were arguing over like the various like clothesness, basically. Like some people were more clothes than modest others. How modest is so modest, it made right? It better. Yeah, like, exactly. There's just like dumb arguments over like, you know, oh, well, this person was dressed modestly in it, so it's fine. While other people maybe weren't. Yeah. Basically, the whole point of what Nate Hockman was saying is like, the whole argument is kind of dumb to begin with. Like the idea that there's these alternatives to uh, uh, woke uh, Bud Lights, for example, is still a Bud Light. Like it's, it's uh, we're arguing over something like a pinup calendar. What is internally, what is inherently conservative about a pinup calendar? And you kind of get at people who the word grift keeps coming up, but like, they're just, they're not inherently conservative, but they're trying to use. They're oppositional just for the sake of being oppositional. It's hard to make nuanced arguments because it's like the, the pictures were not like ridiculously scandalous. You know, they, you know. Right. It wasn't like Sports Illustrated. Right. I mean, it was. Swimsuit it was it, Not even close. I mean, yeah. some people are, so then people are defending it saying you, you could see much this is mild. You could see, it's like, well, the point we're making is this is kind of stupid, you know, and this is not the way to fight. Right. That's kind of what Nate was getting at. It's the same thing in kind, if not in degree, right? That's yeah. Like, no, for example, this is just kind of dumb. Like, so his, his, I have the, I have the quote here. The truth is that many of today's conservative cultural entrepreneurs see no fundamental problem with the soulless, amoral films and music, nor do they have any substantive objection to cheap consumer junk that serves no purpose other than material acquisition, faceless, placeless, corporate behemoths that devour Main Street corner stores, shops, and community centers, or a mass media that hypnotizes Americans with meaningless diguses uh, of their favorite celebrities' sexual exploits as their country is transformed into a gigantic shopping mall. So long as these institutions make an obli obligatory snide remark about wokeness having gone too far or throw in a favorable reference to the genius of Ronald Reagan, we will have won the culture war. Yeah. And so like, and, and that's why I thought, again, just by, by being oppositional, they think oh, we're anti-left, therefore we're good. And that's why I thought, uh, Jason Whitlock, he's, uh, uh, a black conservative. He's with OutKick. Uh, and he just said, he said, yeah, okay. So this bikini calendar is quote conservative. Okay. Whatever. But it's not Christian. Identifying as conservative does not curb or reduce immorality or lust, not remotely. And he goes on and he said, Christianity 
political identities, they get into the camps. I'm in favor of this, I'm against that, he said, but Christianity should force you to deal with the fact with the man or woman that you see in the mirror. He goes, I see drag queens at schools and men, boys competing against women in sports. And I sincerely ask how I contributed to this insanity. So this is getting back to what I had said earlier about looking in the mirror, right? He goes, the answer is simple. I participated in a culture that centered, flaunted, and glamorized heterosexual immorality. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. He goes, the LGBTQIA plus silent P crowd has centered, flaunted, and glamorized uh, its sexuality. Well, he goes, you see, I participated in constructing the slippery slope that got us here. He goes, the Sports Illustrated swimsuit I ogled as a kid and a young adult, the R-rated movies with unnecessary sex scenes, the night spent making it rain at Spearmint Rhino, which is an adult club, the hypersexualized rap songs I party to, the 30 minutes scrolling Britney Renner's Instagram. I was a full participant in an immodest and immoral heterosexual culture that sold Carl's Jr. hamburgers with sexual lust. I love that because he's what he's really nailing is the radical difference between the sort of conservative versus liberal versus progressive culture war mentality and what the church is proposing, right? And that the Catholic Church has is proposing that the only uh, natural and positive way to experience sexual gratification, whatever you want to call it, that sexual pleasure is within the bounds of marriage for the sake of procreation. And this is so radical that when you see a pinup calendar, like no matter how tame it is, you're you're conserving the wrong thing, right? So conservatism, what are you trying to conserve? You want to go back to the 80s swimsuit model calendars instead of the gay one? that Bud Light's going to put out or whatever. It's, it, you have to ask these questions. And I love that he puts it back on self-examination because how have I contributed to it and how can I change my life um, to make yeah. it better? So I, have, I think this sums it up well, and it's a better quote than the one I read earlier. But yeah, if it's not apparent by now, this brand of conservatism and the individuals who are responsible for perpetuating it are not going to help us find our way home. A new culture oriented around radically different values would require art, films, music, and products that are wholly independent of the ones that govern American society today. The greatest conservative, quote unquote, films are not self-consciously political at all. They're not about tax cuts, abortion, or PC culture run amok, nor are they repurposed Hollywood plots with clumsy anti-transgender storylines inserted somewhere along the way. They are works of art, true art, rather than a right-wing PR campaign packaged as such, that imply conservative answers to universal questions, family, duty, patriotism, God, the nature and purpose of man. 100%. Woof. Do it. I mean, well, and I think, I think using the term conservative, Larry Arn has a great uh, article out right now in Imprimus, the Hillsdale College um, publication. But it, it's, not, it's not just conservative, right? Because when you're, you're referring to people who were revolutionary, I mean, you, William Wallace, right? He was actually rebelling against something. He wasn't necessarily conserving um, the American founding. Like these are revolutions. And I think what it is more, not so much conservatism as a positive vision of human freedom, human virtue, the good life, and the role of the political sphere in, in creating a flourishing life. So it's, I think, yeah, if that's what you're conserving, I'm all about conservatism. But we might be at a point where 
we need a little revolution because if what we're conserving is 1980 Sports Illustrated, uh, I don't really want to be that conservative, <laughs> right? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, right. So I think a, a the even more positive vision, and I think this is what Nate Hockman's article is is pushing us towards, is what is the true, the good, the beautiful? What is freedom? And let's aim for it and build a society towards that instead of conserving what very well could be lost. And I hate to be all dark and everything, but hey, 2024 is not looking so fun. No, so, I'm inspired by that. You know what I'm saying? I actually think that was a good inspiring note. If you want to support the program, comment, loopcast.catholicvote.org. Uh, go subscribe to our YouTube. We got big things coming there soon. Head over to the YouTube page. Just look up the Loopcast. You should find it. Uh, you can also review us on Spotify. If you really want to help us out, uh, you can send, you can chip in, donate a little bit. Uh, loopcast.org is where you can do that. We also have that in the uh, show notes and the description. So really appreciate all the people that have helped us out there. Um, and we're going to have a good year. I, I think I, I have a good feeling about this year. I'm, I'm happy to be back with my co-host here after a little break. Yeah. And uh, we're coming in hot for 2024. So St. Fidelis, St. Thomas More, or with Our Lady of Guadalupe, pray for us. And we'll see you guys on the next episode.